0: luck on sunday brought to you by whirlpool bet
1: with the world
0: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday. Free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. well By three lengths still and storming up the hill. You wear it well has been on the sharp end all the way and a real gallant display to win the Jack the Bromhead Mayor's hurdle. Look at Dad's All Right Gino. This has been a cool ride from Gavin Sheehan. It's Dad's All Right Gino. Gavin Sheehan has passed every rival in this to win. Fugitive. Bearing down an Il Redotto who's finding plenty. There'll be flared nostrils either way. Fugitive an Il and Il Redotto.
1: And Hewick! Hewick is staying on down the wide outside. And Hewick from last to first to win the King George. Hewick wins.
0: Newick's brilliant victory in the King George VI chase, emblematic of the sort of season Gavin Sheehan is having, where everything is landing but a side up. Gavin, welcome once again to the Luck on Sunday studio, great to have you with us. It's a bit daft for me to say how are things going, because they're going extremely well.
2: Did you get a good feeling at the beginning of this season that you were on the right track? Um, I suppose, uh, you know, during the the summer you're looking at what you have for the the up-and-coming season, and... um I suppose be, being based with Jamie Snowden, um, he, he's main jockey that you're looking around and thought to be the few nice ones to go to war with. But uh, yeah, look, it he, he was the you know the, the the last couple of weeks there have been a, a nice breakthrough as well for me. So what's changed? Have you changed? Has your riding changed? I don't think it has. Um, I think it, it's it's getting the oppor- opportunity to ride um, the good horses. Um, you know that's already you know came through and he stepped up and and everything else like that. But uh, I think that's. What a jockey needs is to get them, get them opportunities and get them better horses, and you know that that's when you can um, show your stuff. Then I suppose.
0: And do you feel better when you drive to the races? Do you feel in a better frame of mind than, than you did before?
2: Um, I don't know. Um, I just take each day as it comes. I think it's one of those where, you know, you you win a big race, you know, yesterday, but you're still going racing today, and they're totally different horses, totally different. Um, track ground everything and you, you you're going with a different frame of mind but I just take each day as it comes have you always been like that yeah so would you say would you describe yourself
0: as happy-go-lucky in that in that sense
2: I suppose I would but it, it's um, you know I, I try I try to stay level-headed um, and just you know try and do my best every day and every day is a day where you can um, try try and get that winner and you know uh, I suppose it's one of those where it's a horse race and anything can happen, it doesn't matter what price my horse is. and I still want to go out and do the, do the best I can for, for that, that horse. It's been a little while since you've been in the studio with us. Just
0: dial it back for us to when you first came to, to England to ride in England, and comparing Gavin Sheehan now to Gavin Sheehan then as a, as a person and a rider. What were you like when you, when you
2: first arrived? Um, I didn't think I had any chance of making a jockey, to be honest with you. Um, I was an amateur over in Ireland. Um, I start, started off with Michael Harrigan um, and, and my first in a pint to pint was High Clive but coming from the pony racing before that I thought I was going to do well because I was riding good good ponies but pint to pint and I had two winners in two years and never thought I was going to do any good and didn't think I was going to make it as a jockey it was coming over here to Charlie Mann was um, you know a new lease of life I suppose and somewhere where hopefully I was going to get opportunities but you know, it, looking back, you know, from now, and I had 200 winners, 300 winners, and now it's gone up to, mm. to 700. It's, um, it's a bit mind-blowing, to be honest. But, you know, I, I've, I suppose I come from a family where we're very sporty, and, you know, at the same time, we, we, we put our heads down and get on with it and, um, you know, work hard and try and always, always aim for high and settle for less. So, actually, the whole journey has been a bit of a pinch-me
0: journey all the way along. Because you didn't really feel that you were you were going to make it. Who was the first person who told you you were any good?
2: Um, look, I, I, I um, when I was doing the horse and pony racing back home, I've had a, a, a lot of good support from them lads. Um, you know, there was Cast Racing Syndicate that I was involved with, but it was around with Philip Binwright. Um, you know, he used to go in ride out with him and Jerry Collies. There was there was other lads there, but. Um, They'd all tell you, oh, you've got a good sit on a horse or whatever, and never really knew what that meant at the time. But a lot of people said I was very natural, and um, it was kind of one of those things that I still have to work at. And I I still work now, even to to try and get better. I just phoned up Laura Collett there the other day, see if I can. Three day event rider. Yeah, yeah. Just to see if I can go in to her um, in the next coming week. I've got uh, one or two days off and thought that it might be. An opportunity to go in there and refresh everything, and just to just to help out and um, try and get better. It doesn't matter how good you're going in this game; the the, the game doesn't wait, and you got to keep pushing. And that's what I'm trying to do the whole time.
0: But as it, as has been pointed out quite a bit in the last year or two, I think we think slightly more sophisticated fashion about the sort of thing than we used to in this sport. Roger Federer still has a coach. You know, it, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're completely dominant in your field. How important is it that you've got someone to guide just to pick up the little things that you're, you're doing right and wrong, iron out some of the, the kinks, try and increase the those fine margins that put you in front of everybody else?
2: Yeah, look, it, this, this game is about um, having the edge over somebody else because it, the horse does most of the work but the jockey can be the one to, to eke out a little bit more and that's why I walk the track every day. Um, I'll always go around just to see where I can get that little bit of an edge. I've got um, plenty of t- support, and I've got a, a fella that helps me out as well, Scott Sa- Sal- Salkeel. Um, so I speak to him every day, and I have done since I suppose since I first went to, to Warren mm-hmm. Um And what does he do for you? He does all the the form for me. We will go down through the races. He'll if I if I'm split between two different horses, then I'll say, Scotty, where do I go? And he'll Give me the, the the horse to go to, and say this is why he's farm a uh, farm guy guru. And so, will
0: he read the races for you as well? So, if you say to him, right, I'm riding this today, he'll say, right, that's likely to make it.
2: You want to be sitting here doing this, this, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk every day, and he'll be telling me what pace is there, uh, what pace there is in the race. They, but he'll also say that horse has been better around the right-handed track than he is around the left-handed track, or you know one horse that he goes off he he, he knows everything about mm. every horse and he will say about um you know you're better off going, going down the pain because that horse jumps left or right or whatever and you know uh, getting that uh, extra bit of help that uh, extra bit of support and and guidance as well is, is, is massive for me and you know he, he's probably somebody that I don't think I've mentioned too much but he's um you know he, he's been a big big supporter of mine a big help so you've got Laura Collett helping you with the technique if you like the finer points of technique
0: you've got Scott Salkeld as your technician or your um, tactician I should say it's a it's a good team you're putting together and you're not having to do it all flying solo is when you first came over and when you were first going going well and
2: in your buccaneering phase for Warren Greatrex I guess you were just you were just taking it as it came Well, I was uh, you know uh, I'm, I'm not afraid to ask out for help um, and you know there's been so many jockeys inside the weighing room that I can, any one of them, but I, I came at a really good time for them senior lads, like i delighted to say that I rode against Ruby and AP and all the rest of them, like Dickie Johnson, and there are people that I can still ring and say, what do you think about this, or how can I improve this, or you know, whatever it may be, um, and they're brilliant to have inside. I'm interested in the psychology
0: of a young, talented rider going into a weighing room of established generational stars like McCoy and Walsh and Garrity and Carberry and Russell and so forth, and the extent to which you were able to hold your own out there on the the field of battle up here and not be intimidated by them.
2: No. um, I suppose it's just one of those where um, you go out and just do the best by your horse and, and... keep your straight lines. I, I got told my first day by Ruby and Chuck about straight lines um, down in Newton Abbott on a horse for Charlie Mann. but y- you go out the level of respect I had for them was massive. But what did you think? If if you
0: were politely or not so politely taken to one side by one of them and told X, Y and Z, did you think, well, sort it, I'll do what I want? Or did you think, well, oh, I better mind my
2: P's and Q's? Oh, I, the, the best thing I could have done and the best thing that I did was shut up and listen. Um, they're, they're the experts. They're the ones that you got to listen to. They're the senior riders. And when I came in, like the, the, it's always listen to the senior riders. And you'd hope that we, we've got our, I suppose, it's nearly the, the age group in a sense, whoever's closest to the mm-hmm. door. But you, you nearly want to be sitting up next to them to listen. You might not even speak, but just to listen to how they talk about races and how they do things. and you know, you, you can get that extra bit of help just by listening. Listening and learning. Uh, it's interesting, this, because I was talking to Peter Scudamore, who was completely
0: uncompromising when he was a, an 8 times champion jockey, but he, he reads the game so interestingly now. We were talking about the Mullins on Mullins, you know, the other day, Danny and Patrick yeah. at, at Limerick, and he was talking about, you know, Patrick would consider himself to be, you know, a senior rider, even though he's an amateur, and there is a certain kind of cock-of-the-roost or a pecking order or the way you perceive yourself. and the extent to which you try and give yourself a psychological advantage by telling younger riders what they may or may not do uh, and the extent to which as a younger rider you say well yeah I'm going to listen and learn from that or whether you just in your head think yeah they're just trying to they're just trying to have the have the hex on me all the time and I need to plow my own furrow yeah it's
2: um, it's a
0: delicate balance isn't it? it
2: is and, and there's the respect that you had down the start with senior lads and they, 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 they might say I'm going here or whatever but you respect them and do that but no it's not um there's not the same kind of respect anymore and it's uh, every man for himself now Gavin Sheehan however
0: riding high in the jockey's table fifth at the moment 62 winners all these big races is our first guest and David Yates newsboy from the Daily Mirror has slid in to join him David good morning good
3: morning I thought you were talking about me as the prodigal son for a moment there. I well, thought, I what, what have I done to there, deserve there's that?
0: There's some things that just go without saying. But Indeed. welcome back. Thank you. Good. We're going to talk about Hewick now because we saved him um, for this for this part of the show. When you were called by Shark Hanlon to ride this horse in the King George,
2: what did you think? Um, okay he, he was obviously running a massive race at Cheltenham um, and everything like that, but it was. It was it was one of those where, you know, I, I I wasn't until I'd done my homework properly and actually looked down to the race that I thought he's actually got a really massive chance. So was this another example of talking to Scott and him saying to you, this could actually happen? Yeah, he he was the first man that, that I rang. Um, said it's you know I got the got the chance of writing him and everything else, and he said oh, brilliant, and he basically said this, that and the other thing and went down through it and he said that put, puts him in shakeup. Okay, so the obvious question is, would you really have won
0: if Shishkin hadn't stumbled and tripped two out?
2: Look, I think I would have um, because I was a fast finisher. I had much shorter um, odds on you saying that than I did about the horse at any <laughs> point in the run. <laughs> um, I thought I was a fast finisher. I think Shishkin was only just doing enough in front of the other two horses and I think they were probably pushing him on. Um, and he probably would have stayed in front of the other two, but the speed I came um, off, off the back of the last, you know, I was a, a real fast finisher. Uh, was he giving you any feel at any stage, Hewitt? No. Um, he wasn't, to be honest. I, I jumped off, I, I just thought I'd jump off good and sharp. Um, Aloha and Frodon both jump a bit to the left. Um, and and shiskin um and i ended up being on the outside and thought i didn't want to be here um i, I thought the real wacker would be popping out with fraud and i thought i would end up being sat in like third or maybe fourth um but when i found myself further further back than i wanted to be in um having to ask him questions and not really getting that response and he, he's not the biggest horse in the world and he's a little bit straight back so mm. his jumping isn't flamboyant or he anything climbing a little bit wasn't yeah he? He, he's just a very much A to B um, but yeah look he's a he's a hardy horse and he obviously stays further um, as, as we've seen before but it wasn't until probably you know just when I passed Nico on the ground that I thought oh them two were stopping in front of me and we know exactly what happens next I mean even his jump at the last, whilst it was efficient, wasn't the prettiest to watch. No, wasn't the prettiest. But um, <laughs> I just love the way that he, he landed and still put his head down mm. and, and fought all the way to the line. He's um, he's actually won well in the end and um, cozy. Shade cozy, snug. Yeah, um, I love the way that he finished. But he's all heart. Um, you know, he, as I said, he's not the biggest horse in the world, but he is all heart and he'll give you everything. And if mirror readers were tuned in that day
0: then
3: that have been put in the right direction as Indeed. well what did you think watching the race david i thought that um like in the big races as a correspondent and you when you go for an outsider it can go one of three ways can't it very very occasionally they win sometimes they run into a place and you think okay it's minus one but at least people respect the fact that you had a go and you didn't just tip an unnamed favorite and a lot of the time, it's just like, "Oh my God, what have I done?" Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the it's the signature race of Britain's midwinter, and you've tipped a horse who has just run like its legs are tied together, <laughs> and that's what it looked like most of the way, didn't it? I remember when, as um, as they go away from the stands, going the second time, turn right down the back straight, and I think at that point y- you're really struggling, and I thought. This is awful. This is really embarrassing. And then, of course, you know, it, it's. I, 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 what, what helped Hewitt, I'm sure, was the fact that the, the first three or the, 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 the big three pressed on mm. over a mile from the finish, didn't they? And that's, that's what makes me think that Hewitt probably would have won if, even if Shishkin had stood up.
0: Now, I appreciate, Gavin, that on Hewitt you didn't really have a right lot of choice about where you were through the race because he was never really taking you anywhere until the last few strides. But there is a theme that runs through all these. That's all right, Gino, Fugitive, and Hewitt. And that was, yes, a little bit of never say die, but also quite a bit of patience. Um, is, Is this emblematic of a new Gavin Sheehan, of the new Gavin Sheehan, the more
2: rounded jockey? Um, the more multi-dimensional rider. Yeah, look, uh, it's uh, I've probably been known to be a front-running jockey. Um, yeah. And I'd say 75% of my winners um, have probably come from the front. But I go out there and, you know, just just let the horse get into his stride. And that's that's exactly what I did. And then three horses, Bar, Buick, I was probably... Um, I was trying to get him into stride more so than anything. But, uh, look, he, he's... Uh, uh, the, the way i rode them horses isn't my usual i suppose but at mm-hmm. the same time i didn't have too much of a choice um i still have to let the horse find his rhythm and find his stride and that's probably what i did and um you know w- once i don't get tied down too much to riding instructions then then i can go out there and do do, do my best by a horse and as a jockey you, you can only do the best by your horse and listen to your horse and see see how he's going and Look, it's one of those. If I had to finish second on any one of them three, everybody would have been cursing at me, saying I was too far back. No one was, would have been cursing you for Hewick. I don't think. I think. I think you got a buy on that one. I think. I don't think
0: anyone was expecting him to win at any point in the race. Um, but I, I suppose, you know, you've just answered the question really in the in the affirmative. You're not forcing. You're just letting it come to
2: you. Yeah, look, yeah, I always um, found the easiest way to get a horse speed is to try and go too quick, too early. Um, you know, so I just try and let them find find, find their rhythm. Um, it's, it's easier for horses to jump out of their rhythm um, rather than pressing them on and, you know, you end up forcing errors then. Um, so I just try to go out there and, you know, get them into a good rhythm um, and try, try obviously find a nice position somewhere. Um, yeah, I, I think once they're in the right race, then everything you know, should ideally click together if they're good enough. No, we haven't been with you on this show for about three weeks,
0: so a lot's happened in the interim, and clearly we're not going to show you every horse that's run during that period. But if there's one horse you would like to have ridden, it's surely Il Francais in the Corto star. It was just a, a breathtaking display,
2: and you'd never tire of, of watching this. What, what did you make of it? Look, he, he was four seconds quicker than the King George um, you know it wasn't like the he went out and kind of had the run at a race or anything like that in a sense of like going a slower pace I thought he still went out went a strong gallop but his jumping was unbelievable um, he stride everything he was inside in the weighing room at Kempton it was breathtaking and there was a lot of people quiet inside there rather than um, anything else because I'd say they were all just taken back by how impressive he was, um, and yeah, he, he'd be a nice one to be riding. And James is very lucky. So all the jockeys were transfixed by this, who were sitting in the weigh and watching. Yeah, yeah, they were all um mesmerised, I suppose, um, because of the gallop he's gone and you know what what he's done to Hermes Allen, who's um, you know like he, he's no slouch, and
3: he's probably made him look ordinary enough. It's fun to have the French back, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's. Uh any sport is enlivened by more people fighting over the top prizes, as I've said ad nauseum uh, in the past. Um, yeah, d- he was great, Ilet Francais. I thought it, d- an interesting thing that occurred to me at the time, and, and the press room was the same, actually. Not just, It was quiet, not just because there's no-one in it these days, but also because this was a, 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 a very taking performance. The... Um, comparisons afterwards with corto star i thought were a bit odd because the horse that that reminded me of was actually denman the way that that sort of bludgeon from the front i think james Reedy said afterwards when i when i asked him to go he didn't quicken but he lengthened and the way that that horse it, i don't know it, it, it reminded me of denman the way that he just uh galloped on you know there was a sort of brutality about it, it was the Bludgeon rather than the rapier, I thought. The last time I could, the, the horse he, he reminded me
0: of was first gold when he right. when he won round Camden. And, and just shock and awe, just a lot of speed, just kept going, took the fences in his stride. When those French horses do get the English
2: fences right, they can be pretty deadly, can't they? They can. Um, and you've seen a, a couple of the, the, the fences that he did take on. He, he actually probably made ground. It's not too often a horse makes ground in the air, but. Um, he's got a lot of power from behind and he, he, he's quick up over them um, there was only I think one where James actually took him back and tried to get him to go in and pop.
0: If if he stays sound and turns up in the King George next year which is his next British main target after he presumably runs and wins the Grand Stoupe de Paris if he turns up in the King George next year and Gaelic Warrior turns up sound and hale and hearty in the King George
2: next year who would you ride? Um, judging off this year, I'd say elefrancais Um I think he, around Kempton, if you can go strong Gallop, everything like that, I, I think he, he'd take all the, the speed out of uh, Gaelic Warrior. Of course, Gaelic Warrior is merely just an excuse
0: to see Mullins and Mullins again. I mean, this has been now done to death, so we're no not oh going to... are not go
3: down the inside, we're not. Kempton. <laughs> we're not, yeah.
0: Here we go. Um, but th- talking about the horse first
2: and the incident second, this is a very, very talented horse going right-handed, isn't he? Yeah, very classy. Um, and I love the way that Patrick didn't even give him a he didn't really need to give him a squeeze, and he's still picking up for him. Um, I thought his jumping was, was, was electric as well. Um, he's a horse that's very quick and very, very um, foot sure of what he's doing. Now, Patrick came out worst in the PR war, I think, against...
0: Against Danny after this race, if you'd been Danny Mullins, would you have had a burrow up that inside there, or would you have
2: uh, gone around the outside? I'd probably just go for a simple, simple option, um, and let's probably just go around the outside. Um, I don't think he was ever going to take him on, um, and and do him anyway. You just probably have a go at the last. But look, that's different, different riders, different styles, different tactics. But uh, yeah, I would have waited and um, just tried to keep it simple. Patrick's obviously trying to, to to rule the roost a little bit, and um, you know, trying to own it a small bit. But Danny's he was trying to do the best by himself, Norris. You know, to be
0: honest, I mean, just because Danny undercooked the Christmas turkey, Dave, there was no reason for that.
2: I thought it was really,
3: um, I, I, I thought the the reaction to that was really interesting. Um, we all have when we if you do a stressful job, there are times when. Things like that happen, and why should that be any different with jockeys? It happens in all sports. It happens in all trades. Don't say that there hasn't been a.
0: Have you ever? A, have you ever had a, a contratant at work at all, where,
3: where you finger wagged a I, fellow? I, journalist? I must have had. I, I, I can't, I, can't I think mean, of I, one right away, but there must have been I mean, one in the, <laughs> the past.
0: Imagine if one was caught on camera or something <laughs> like that.
3: So, um, we still the, got it? The. Um, you're a devil. The um, the reaction to it, I thought, was interesting uh, in that um, Patrick Mullins afterwards, they said, was entitled and, and almost... Uh, the, it, it wasn't a good look in the mm. sense that um, horses, for, jockeys riding horses for the same stables are talking about how the race is going to be run. But that ignores a couple of things. One is that... It wasn't as if Danny Mullins was exactly. not trying to win the race, exactly. so that the the, the the result was all cooked up in Clasatten somewhere. And um, the other uh, point that is worth making is that there is a discussion of tactics and what will happen in a race in in the weighing room, and that is not th- that's that's not a, a blow to Racing's integrity, is it? We've just watched a race. The King George, where you, you could have had three frontrunners in that race, right? Frodon, Alaho, The real whacker. The real whacker. Now, jockeys aren't stupid. They, 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 not, there will be a discussion whereby maybe the, each of those jockeys will have the thought, well, I don't want to get caught up in a, in a three-way... If, 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 if someone wants to lead, I'll just rein back. You know, so th- th- there was a lot of clutching of pearls at the idea that that Patrick, that one jockey had said to another, um, "Don't go up my inner." But that ignores the fact that these things happen all the time, and, it, and that doesn't mean to say that the, that the result is being cooked up. It's just merely, it, which, if, as a punter, which would you prefer? Would you prefer the jockeys before the King George to say, "Right, well, if there's a." If someone wants to go forward, I'm quite happy to rein back. We, we, you can't have it both ways. Do you know what I mean? It's it's if if you've backed one of those front runners, you'd rather that they sat in behind and let maybe Bryony Frost on Frodo on lead rather than sacrifice your chance by by getting um, involved in a in a tussle for the lead. I mean, obviously it, the the way that they did press on helps Hewick anyway. But I thought it was an interesting. It was it was obviously an, yeah. a. a an interesting reaction to uh, it. And, and talking of all matters Mullins, Willie Mullins is closing
0: the gap on Gordon Elliott hard now at the top of the Irish Trainers Championship after a very productive Christmas which was spearheaded by Gallopan Deschamps victory in the Savills chase in Ireland. Gavin when you watched this performance did you simply think right well here's the repeat Gold Cup winner or did you see it in any more complex light than that?
2: Um, I thought it was a r- repeat really. Um, you know he's done it very stylishly um, in the end but he's uh, I thought he's took a step forward and I can see him taking another step forward again and they're only thinking about one day and that's the Gold Cup really um, the, the, these races are, are to prepare him, I think for that but you know it, it was definitely the, the horse of old it's a brilliant performance striding right away to what extent do you think that ground
0: or soft ground exacerbates his superiority
2: I think good horses like him I think they just they, they go on anything um, you know but it, it, it's last year was it was in the Gold Cup it, it was brilliant he obviously got a brilliant ride, um, being being where he was in in position and everything but he, he's got a lot of class about him um, and you wouldn't be too, too worried about the ground <laughs>
0: My next guest is making a real impression in the sport as she has done across all fields that she's turned her hand to through the last few decades. Beginning as a news journalist in Dubai in the early 1980s, she then turned her hand to construction, where she's uh, become one of the most powerful executives in the world. She's been responsible for uh, projects, including the O2, the Millennium Dome, Wembley Stadium. She ran Madison Square Gardens, and she's now the supremo of Sports Boulevard in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, from where she joins me now. But in the meantime, she's been building up Dash Grange Stud, an elite boutique collection of broodmares there, including the Dam of Constitution Hill, plus... Her most famous purchase, the horse that she so desperately wanted and got, the Derby winner, Golden Horn, who now stands at Simon Sweeting's overbury Stud and to great acclaim as well. Uh, Jane McGivan, good morning.
4: Morning, Nick. How are you?
0: I'm very well and great to uh, have you on the show. With your owner's hat on, you now see the way that British Racing is seeking to restructure itself, so it is doing something. As, as Rafe Beckett was talking about a moment ago, these 170 Premier mm. fixtures. Um, what's your What's your feeling on that as a way of rehabilitating the sport or breathing new life into it?
4: I think the Premierisation per se is probably not a bad idea. Uh, uh, but, you know, it, firstly, 170 in premiere don't go in the same, ludicrous. Uh, secondly, uh, my heart went into my boots when I heard uh, an interview that Matt Chapman did with um, um, Wilf Walsh about uh, 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 the. Place. Well, we're just looking at it to see. Thin ice, especially national hunt, um, racing um, and our leadership don't seem to have a clue about what to do about it and I, I don't want to be standing on the outside casting stones in because that's not particularly helpful but there are things on the inside as a CEO I know that you have to deal with that nobody would ever know about and that influence the decisions you make But um, and I've kept quite quiet about it with that in mind but that said um, knowing that I was speaking to you today, I read, I went back and spent a happy afternoon on Google reading uh, some articles. And actually, you know, the BHA and uh, all of the various committees were all saying the same thing five years ago. You know, we're, we're going to change the sport, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and yet here we are in a much worse position. As an owner, I think we're appallingly treated. We are... The funders of the sport we fund it all the owners the trainers and the jockeys there is no sport without those people and um and it ultimately comes from the owners and i think that the prize money is absolutely dismal we can't fill the fields with horses there's way too much racing as it is i think the uh, bha have cards up their sleeves that they don't want to play because it's not collegiate there's way too much um, middle ground consultation and no strong leadership in my view. We should be camped outside the door of Richie Sunek and uh, any other political leader who are destroying our industry with this nonsense around gambling restrictions. What do they think is going to be achieved by it? Any gambling addict who needs to be protected will basically just go and bet online off uh, outside of the jurisdiction. Um, uh, in in the Far East or wherever else you can go and, and bet online. I myself was told that my betting limit was 43 pounds when I tried to put 100 each way on one of my own horses. Um, and so I just went online and, and did it in, out of Hong Kong. I mean, and that's what real addicts would do. So nothing's being achieved by it. It's destroying the industry. It's almost a perfect storm. We have race courses telling us that they won't tell us how much money they're making out of media rights. So I can't make a judgment on whether what they're taking is fair or not fair, just to echo uh, what Rafe has just said. And if I were the BHA, I would say, right, you can't have any fixtures if you don't give us this information. They are the ultimate authority, and they and the jockey club, have, as Rafe just pointed out, has the remit to protect our sport, and I don't think that that is happening Um, and uh, there needs to be a much fairer divvy up of makers and from the race courses towards the sport itself and the people that fund it i.e. owners through prize money. My horse, one of my horses, one of my adored horses won a race at Doncaster last week and that paid for his fees for a month Um, and it took me about two years to get him there so you know there's got something has to change. And I think having more and more low quality races and seven days a week races is not the way to do it. We need to have better quality races. If we are gonna take on the Irish and the French, we need to fill the fields with better quality horses, not dumbing it down to, you know, a lot of, you know, more to 60 races and a lot of, um, you know, bumpers. Why don't we look at uh, other systems that are uh, in play? France is a great example where the totes in France give up a fair proportion of the winnings to fund the sport. It doesn't matter whether 300 people turn up at a provisional French race course because that race course is getting properly paid for through the tote. Now. I understand that the law doesn't allow us to do that in the UK. But if I were administering the sport, I would be saying, let's change the law, not just saying, oh, well we can't do it. You need to, you cannot be collegiate. Nothing is ever achieved by committees. A good CEO, and let's face it, racing is the equivalent of a FTSE 100 company. It is worth 4 or £5 billion per annum to the economy of UK PLC. It employs thousands and thousands of people. And you know, not just the trainers and the owners and the jockeys, but the stable staff and the farriers and the physiotherapists and the business admin and everybody else that's in, involved in, in the industry. Um, and we, have, we used to lead the world of bloodstock. We still do, but we're exporting all of our good bloodstock. So that is going to spiral down as well. And actually, I'm sitting in the five years in which I've invested several million pounds in racing by the way over the last five years. And I see it as something has got to happen. And you know, um, we you know we have a lot of committees for the race home race. are doing a very good job. You know, when prize money is falling through the floor. Nobody gets transparency into the finances of, 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 the, of the sport. If this was a big PLC, at least we would have shareholders' meetings where we, the shareholders, can grill the executive and hold them to a camp. And we can't do that in this sport. So it's quite disappointing as well that um, we don't see the leaders of our sport allowing seasoned journalists such as yourself or Lydia Hislop or Matt Chapman especially who speaks for the, the man in the street initially, and now is speaking for everybody? When he's saying, "What is happening? Please come and talk to me," and nobody will talk to him. So, what are we to think? I mean, I, you know, I didn't sort of, I didn't sort of want to have go into a rant, but I've gone into a bit of a rant because I think we're sleepwalking towards disaster, Nick.
0: Jane, I want to ask you as well about your experience as as an owner, not just your your perspective as a CEO on the state yeah. of the sport, but also your your experience as a consumer um, of British yeah. racing. You've yeah. got experience in other sports. You're currently working on a big sports project. You've got huge experience in the leisure industry of people coming to venues and getting an experience. How is British yeah. racing doing on that score, do you think, on, on entertaining its consumer, its fan?
4: I think that um, it's really varied. Um, you know, you go to Royal Ascot and and have an absolutely wonderful time or you go to Cheltenham and have have an absolutely wonderful time. And actually you go to some of the smaller courses and, you know, have a great time as well. Um, But um, I I think that there's a huge emphasis on entertaining, um, you know, attracting people to the sport who aren't particularly interested in racing. Um, I personally feel that that's the, the wrong emphasis. I think that people will uh, always come to the big day out, the Epsom Derby or the Cheltenham Festival, whether you're interested in horses or the sport or not. But you're not going to get those people to turn up to Taunton on a Wednesday afternoon. And Taunton on a Wednesday afternoon is, you know, the people that are there are the people that have race horses there and some local people. And you know, I, I, I empathise a little bit with those courses because they try extremely hard to give the owners a good time, but they have limited resources. But you know, where, where I feel as an owner the sport can do a lot better is um, is uh, by pushing our agenda to. You know, I don't think I'm going to make money out of racing horses. You know, I don't, I don't, I have 10 horses in training. No, 11 horses in training. As a sole owner, it's not an inexpensive activity. Um, you know, if I, if I could break even with 50% of them, I'd be over the moon. And it's not that they don't win races, they win races. So um, uh, uh, I think the sport indiv- is, is not um, uh, program-wide uniform. I think one day can be a terrible day and one day can be fantastic. But I think everybody does their best to give you a good day out as an owner. But for me, as an owner, you know, especially I'm I'm not often able to get to the races. So my owner experience isn't just about getting to the races and my day at the races. My experience as an owner starts with selecting my trainer and getting involved in in that side of things and having Uh, that, that yeah.
0: Yeah, you, and you've, you've selected quite a few trainers already, so you've got well, quite, a, quite a few to, to compare. I'm not going to ask you to list all their merits and, and, and demerits, but it, yeah. I'd be very interested to, to compare your experience in, in eventing, where you've had a lot of very successful horses with, with Piggy March, I know you've had a fantastic relationship with down the years, with your experience as yep. an owner owner in, in horse racing and what you get from your trainer relative to, say, what you would get. In eventing, and what they need to get, what they need to deliver you to make it a, a good experience.
4: I, I, I don't think there's that much difference, to be, to be honest, Nick. Um, you know, eventing and racing have a have a real synergy. Uh, it's all about the horse being an athlete. And for me, my number one thing with my horses is their welfare and their happiness. And that's why you'll see me go to quite a few different trainers because not every horse is exactly the same. And different regimes suit different horses. And, you know, a couple of years, there was a little bit of suck and see. And, and now I've sort of got a, um, you know, a core of trainers that I'm extremely happy with. Um, and I, I also, you know, Piggy and I are very much a partnership. I don't have as many events as I used to because I've gone heavily into racing. But I still do have a top-class event with Piggy. Um, and it's the same thing. What is our objective this season? How are we going to get there? How is the horse? How, how you know, how are we training him? What are, I like to be consulted and, um, and um, involved in, in that extent. All my trainers do that with me, so I'm very happy. I have actually put two horses in Ireland and one in France um, so that I can compare the different systems. In, in the three different countries. And I'm finding that quite interesting
0: as well. Jane, I've got one one final question for you. Uh, this is obviously a, a huge project that you're working on at the moment in, in Riyadh and you're devoting an enormous amount of time to it. As and when that has has run its course or when when you are, are going to move on to the next challenge in, in your life, what appetite do you have to be around the boardroom table at the British Horse Racing Authority, being racing's CEO?
4: Um, well, as you say, Nick, I am in the middle of a pretty big job here, and that's really what I'm concentrating on. I, uh, you know, um, it's all I'm thinking about at the moment. And as far as I'm aware, there aren't any vacancies at the BHA, so it's not something I've given any thought to.
0: But but, would you fancy if, if it ever came up?
4: Never say never.
0: Welcome back. Here he is then. He's the West Country dairy farmer who rode his own horse to victory in 2008, famously jumped on his horse's back when ridden by Nick Scofield at Wincanton, which got him a, a rap over the knuckles from the BHA. It wasn't his worst wrap over the knuckles because uh, they warned him off for a few years. We'll come to that in a, in a little while. And this was my first encounter with Anthony. Number 35.
1: Here we go. Oh, the <laughs> These are natural, absolute natural.
0: Yeah, I'll pick up speed as we go
1: along. <laughs> <laughs> so, well then, really. All right. Okay. All three. Oh, there's more. Okay, the chain. Nice one. Yep.
0: And that was shortly before one of Anthony Knott's cows decided to. Well, h- how can I put this delicately? Um, do what it needed to do all over me. Um, it's great to have you. <laughs> great to have you back. Great to see you. You're back in the fray, and you've got a runner tonight uh, at Wolverhampton. You've got back into racing after a, a period out. We'll come to that in a few moments' time. What got you back in?
1: Um, well, you always have that desire, don't you? Once you've had it in. And- the success I had with hunt ball and um, and I've got some friends that got back into racing so I decided to have another go
0: can we go right back to wise men' say which was which was 2008 and it's fair to say no one had really heard of you at that point had they no um, <laughs> but you had a long-held ambition to ride your own horse to win a race
1: yeah I'd, I'd done some point to point in for my dad um and then my dad became ill, so I had to stop and run the f- farm. And um, then I thought, I got to 40-odd. You see Tony McCoy riding 200 winners a year, and I only rode a winner. So I set about, if he can ride 200 a year, I can surely ride one. So that's how it came about, really. And uh, I was down with Colin Tizard, um, and he had this horse down there that was lame at the time. He couldn't get it right. So I did, and I said I think it needs a bit of time. So I bought it, uh, at about six months off, brought it back in, and um, set about trying to win a race.
0: And win a race you did. Yeah. At your local track. as so Well, how far do you live from Wincanton? Ten miles. Ten miles. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the local faithful knew exactly who you were, um, and it's fair to say that the celebration exceeded. Anything I'd uh, anything I'd ever seen.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I just didn't realise it was g- it was going to explode like that. Really, you know, it it was it was very special. Um, and yeah, you can't if you can't do it on your own local track. Well, no point in doing it, is there? So, so,
0: so you, you're a guy who basically nobody knows. You've ridden this winner at Wincanton. The next morning, what what happened?
1: Um, well, just the media exploded basically. Um, it actually went on to the American TV as well. Um, you were
0: getting calls from CBS and ABC and
1: yeah, everywhere, global. Um, I didn't realise what I'd actually achieved after sort of twenty-eight years trying to ride a winner.
0: And <laughs> let's take a look at at Wise Men say. Uh, this is this is win Canton, two thousand and eight, and this is Anthony in the hoop colours, the pale blue sleeves, and was. Was this in a, in a hands and heels race or yes. similar? Yeah. So you're riding basically against like young 17, 18 year old conditionals and amateurs.
1: Yeah. Well, Steve Smith Eccles um, gave us a walk of the track. And I remember him looking at me and thinking, I don't think you should be here. Because like, I, I was looking older <laughs> than he was. Uh, and
0: uh, it's a distinctive style. Very. So he won, you became famous. And then, really, your, your fame continued through your, your ownership of a horse called Humball, who everybody will, will remember. Just tell us how the Humball story started.
1: Um, it started with um, Kieran was down with Colin Tizard. It's Kieran Burke. Yeah, I, before I ever had Wise Men say, I had another horse, um, well, I bought off of Martin Pipe, um, called Eiclair Dairies, which I was going to come to ride that. Anyway, the horse become too fit too quickly, and there was a, a conditional jockey's race up at Cheltenham, and Kieran could take off 10 pounds off his back, and yeah. I said to Colin, you've got to let him go. And um, I'd never been to Cheltenham, and you know they talk about the Cheltenham Hill. Well, the farther he, he went, the farther he won. We didn't even know there was a hill there. And um, so and I thought, well, I've missed my chance of having a winner, you know, ride my own winner, anyway. and. Um, so then Colin had this wise men say come up and I thought, right, I'm going to buy this one to do the job then. So that's what I did do. And um, then Kieran um, went on to start up on his own. So I always like to try and help somebody young to get going. And um, he rang me up and he said, I've got this horse down there. Um, and um, so I went down in you know, the rest of it's really history.
0: And so he, how many races did he win that season when he, when he ended up winning at Cheltenham? Nine. Nine races yeah. that year. And ended up carrying 12 stone two in the novice handicap at Cheltenham. And that was your famous line, wasn't it? When I said, you'll still be up at three o'clock in the morning milking the cows. And you said, bugger the cows.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was and that's what I did do. It was, um, you know, it was life changing. And you, you can't explain it. And I'd been milking for 35 years, 100 hours a week, trying to save money up basically to buy a horse. In, in to run because it's quite expensive to do and I've, I've just been lucky
0: mm. so did you did you finish with the with the cows at that point yes you did yeah so yep. any regrets now
1: no not was, not it, at
0: all. was it was it you didn't you don't feel it was a too impulsive a decision because this was your life I I knew how much you you'd grown up with and, and loved farming in many respects
1: yeah no it, it was a third generation um, of milking cows um, but there becomes a time in your life, and I thought I'd been hammering at it all that time. And this had come along, and I thought, well, I don't need to work. Well, not work, but, you know, I could t- take it easier. Mm. And, um, and also the dairy industry was a bit older part at the time, so it was it was right, right, right move at the right time.
0: And is that because you, you'd backed the horse and won a lot of money, or because you then sold the horse and made a lot of money, or both?
1: both? Basically, I was really lucky. Um, well, like I, I told, well, I know you missed out on it, but hey. <laughs> but I had, um, no, I, I, I had that, and then the Americans came on and wanted to buy it. So it was, it was win-win. Mm-hmm. I know some people thought, well, how, how could you sell it or whatever? But it, 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 if somebody comes along with that golden checkbook, well, you, you take it, don't you?
0: If it's going to change your life. <laughs> yeah. And it, it clearly did change your life. Now there were some extraordinary moments along the way. You know, Canton when you came in and jumped on on the back of the horse with Nick Schofield, and you got a wrap over the knuckles from the from the BHA. You did a deal with I think Paddy Power, and they painted the quarters of the horse green. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I do remember. And
3: that. And
0: clearly, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea. Do you look back on any of any of those stunts and parts of the of the journey along the way with any with any regrets or not?
1: No, none at all. Um, you know, it was within the rules. No, the, the, you know, there's not a rule that you can't sort of advertise on your horse, and um, it, it was it was fun, and the public enjoyed it. They were looking for the next stunt what we were going to pull, really. And so, so
0: it was all part of the adventure for you.
1: It was. It was. It was an amazing venture. You know, um, um, no matter what else I do in life, is never going to take me to those heights again, is it?
0: And were you were you enjoying the limelight as well? Were you enjoying your own kind of pseudo celebrity status at the time?
1: Yeah, of course. And, and, but we were all on a roll. you know getting beat was wasn't even in the equation. You know we were we were going there and we knew it was going to win it, and it was just happy days. Mm.
0: And how did you know you were onto something, or how soon did you know you were on to something? Because he's a horse who came from Mick pretty cheaply, didn't he? Yeah. And you, not many people, not get one over him, but not, not many people end up with a, a cast-off or a Mick that then goes off and does that.
1: No, Mick actually, um, I'm a good friend with Mick now, and he... Um,
0: Has he sold your horse <laughs> since? <laughs>
1: no, he's been trying. Mm. Um, but Mick came when we were actually going to the Cheltenham Festival, and he came in, and he said, oh, any chance to have a look around the horse. And I uh, said, yeah, it's all right. I mean, he would be looking all around his neck and his... Everything in his head, and he said, "What the hell have you done to him, then?" I said, "Well, between you and me, Mick, it's a ringer."
0: <laughs> Given what we're about to talk about, I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not. I'm not sure you could joke about that. But um, what had you done to him?
1: Well, nothing really. Kieran had found the trick to him, and um, you know, it, it, he just rocked up every time. He, he, like I say, he was in that zone. Everything was right. The jockeys were right. Um, Kieran had him bang on every time mm. you know if it wasn't for Kieran I, I, I wouldn't achieve what I've achieved or what we all did with him
0: should we should we have a look at the Cheltenham race again Yeah, why not yeah. Kieran Burke Nick Schofield Anthony Knott team up with Hunt Ball Hunt Ball in Anthony's colours there the red and yellow hoops the pale blue sleeves cantering away in the race that doesn't exist anymore at the Cheltenham Festival the novice handicap chase David Yates you'll remember this very clearly 12 stone 2 he was carrying and there was all sorts
3: of banter with the the handicapper afterwards. Um, it was quite a story. Yeah, it was. I I, I think that um, I remember this very well. You you did a piece with me, Anthony, during um, Hunt Bull's rise to fame, and I, I think for the most part it was a very enjoyable ride. I think that you know I, I don't agree with that old cliche about the. Um, the press building people up to knock them down. I, th- I think that generally that's a load of rubbish. But I think in your case we really we welcomed your enthusiasm and your effervescence. And then I think in the end uh, the the knockers came out of which I was one actually in that that maybe things have gone a bit too far with the paddy power stump. But the the obvious answer to that, apart from saying well, I don't really give a stuff what you think, is that that we can't have it both ways. And that for for a time when we Consider racing and its its owners to a, a, a an extent a bit joyless and a bit grey. You were a, a, certainly an antidote to that. Yeah, I mean the wise men say day at, at Wincanton.
0: I will remember forever presenting down there and how the the, the viral reaction that that got. And you know, Huntball. There was a there was a taste of that there as well. Um, this was the this was the famous interview that. Um, that took place after that novice handicap chase at Cheltenham. You might recognise the bloke behind the mic and the one in front of it.
1: I told you, I told you we had two stone in hand. And uh, he delivered what I thought he could do. There's a, one of your pundits, Liverpool Puglian bloke, he was going to lay it. Ain't got a clue what he's talking about. He can't jump right. Can't jump left. He want to know what a proper horse is, he's seen one now.
0: And you said to me last week, you said he'll take it up two out and they won't see which way yeah. he went you were spot on.
1: I know. this point, I told you all along, he's still in the wrong race, we could have took the gold cup out. Maybe next year the gold cup, will that be the target? Oh, I don't know, I just can't get it in mean head now, you know, what? what I said and what I thought he were capable of doing. It's happened.
0: And it's great to have all the family here with you oh, as well. it
1: just, just is, and I just, I just hope everybody here backed it and skipped the bookies right out big time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anthony, well done! What a fabulous moment for you. It is. I, um, you
1: know, I can't express what, what it's like. I was. I felt sick. I didn't even think I'd be able to go home because everybody, even the paper boys, had backed it. And uh, I thought I wouldn't ever go back to Dorset again. if it lost? You'll be there three o'clock tomorrow morning. No, I won't. <laughs> Bugger the cows. <laughs> I, t- I told everybody this is a money machine, and that's what he is. Yeah. Wonderful day. Yeah, thank you very much, Nick. I've well done, Lassie. Thanks for coming down the other day. You know, and I just hope everybody lumped on and you know cleaned up really for the Cheltenham. So were we, we taking... took your advice and we didn't get on <laughs> each way. Here's Phil Smith, the
0: handicapper. He told him he'd put him up too much. Well, he's having the last laugh as well. Wonderful scenes here at Cheltenham. Oh, feels like a million years ago, Anthony. Not on hunt ball after winning that novices handicap chase. Um, in order for you to enter the game again it's uh, it's not been a it's not been an easy ride because as I said at the, be- at the beginning and in the introduction you, you got banned you got warned off by, by the BHA because at the time back in in 2014 um, they brought the case against you that you would passed inside information to a friend who then laid a horse to lose one of yours is to lose for a lot of money on on Betfair now subsequently um, the case was set aside and it, it was taken off your record, though it was neither quashed nor, nor upheld because of the uh, issues with, with Matthew Lone, who, who uh, the BHA were using in roles that procedurally they shouldn't have been using him in. Um, how was that as a, as, as a period of time for you, Anthony, given, given what we've just seen, given that high and the massive emotion that you experienced there? How, how was it when you, were, when you were unable to go racing and banned from the sport?
1: Um, yeah, it's quite bad. Um, for something that, um, you know, I was accused of and it was overturned. Um, yeah, it was. It hurt. Um, but like I said, it was all overturned. And, um, you know, and I'm back. Um, and people has never, ever said a bad word, um, which is really good. You know, ra- all the racing people um, have been very good to me.
0: So what? So what actually? What actually happened? What was your version of events? What was their version of events? And what was your version of events?
1: Um, well, they. I was accused of um, passing off in, inside information, which was ludicrous, really, because the. I'd go on to onto a um, go to a race track, I'd get the TV people come over. So I was any putting my opinion over on a race of, you know, do you think, do you fancy this or don't you? No, I don't, I could just say, I don't really fancy this horse today. All of a sudden it was affecting the exchanges of what was happening. Um, and um, oblivious of, of what was actually going on. So, um, and then when this came along, um, you know, I was hit for six with it really. And anyway, but it's it's all got overturned and I'm back and um, I wanna move forward and, um, you know, contribute to the racing.
0: And how did you find uh, your friends in the racing community, people in racing during that time? Did you find that they supported you or were they like, well, I don't really wanna know Anthony, not anymore. We loved him when he was jumping on the horse and having fun and enjoying it, uh, but we're we're done with him now.
1: Yeah, no, I never had any of that whatsoever. That that was the beauty of it, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, because people knew me, and um, you can't just have somebody that's been good to race and all of a sudden turn it sour. That's not good, is it?
4: Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world.